time already, aren't we? Let me get this up real quick. There we go. Uh. Welcome to the show, everybody. Thursday evening, Thursday evening, the second day of June 2022. And we have some fun stuff to do tonight. I am in, I'm already really excited about it. Because the headlines are pretty drab, I have a few that we can go through, but I think that the overall conversation I'm about to spark with you should be relaxing and fun and stimulating. And the show thread, the show thread that I created to work in tandem with tonight's broadcast is already populated with so much good response, well over 20 the last time I saw it. And I'll talk to you about that in a second. We're going to be talking about jobs the most fun job you've ever worked and why. It's going to flow through a whole bunch of things. We have the badass of the day that we're going to do in the second half. Like I said, some grab bag. We'll open up the calls and uh, and see what everybody's thinking. Had a nice little broadcast at 4 o'clock with Adel Nero and Brendan Dilly on Taking It Back. That was nice. And now we settle back in. Uh, Rob is not in tonight. He has some personal matters to attend to. Um, but please go and check out KungFuChannel.com. He will be uh, on the road this weekend, but still there will be a class on Saturday morning provided, and you should go and try to get yourself into that class. So contact him through Kung, Kung Fu Channel, contact.com. I had my workout this morning, feeling pretty good. I'm going to have a steak tonight. That's my good job, boy. So what are we doing? What are we doing? I told you a little bit about the jobs. I wanted to want to thank my sponsors tonight. That's BlueMonsterPrep.com. Go there. It is necessary. It is more necessary than ever before. It becomes more necessary every day. BlueMonsterPrep.com. Use promo code FRANKLY for all of your shipping to be taken off the top. 
and of course there is no way to even put a, a price tag on how much their customer service means to everybody, but that's where we are. That's where we are. Customer service and everything you need in a time of worldwide fluctuation and transition. So remember, shipping times for food are probably around two to three weeks now. I said four to six the other night. I got uh, I got some news back from from Pat and Gina, and they said it was it's been four four to six weeks a window we've been giving people the last few weeks, but things are starting to loosen a little bit still. It's not as easy as it was months ago. So the squeeze is being felt everywhere. Make sure that your family is is uh, provided for and you have some insurance that you can eat and drink. Communication, backups, everything. Go to Blue Monster Prep. All right. We have a pretty good badass of the day today. Can't wait to get around to that. What else do I have here? That's it for this week as far as guests go. Um, But we're going to have... I'm about to do some work with a friend of mine who is a really prolific booker, but a, a, a great producer um, all around. I've known him for a great many years. He does work with uh, a few brands that you guys probably are, many of you are probably familiar with, but we go back a long ways with the old studio, and and I cannot wait to see what we can do as far as bringing in new guests and maybe even getting myself booked elsewhere. Who knows? But pulling out all the stops in 2022 and beyond. And so more to announce on that. Next week, we've got author Danny Katz coming on to talk about propaganda and other things. Uh, Jim Lee will be back on June 8th. Justin Polgar on Friday, June 10th. Jason Burmis on June 13th. On the 14th, we got Velez from Rogue News coming back on. Everybody loved his last appearance, his first appearance. Chris Ann Hall will be back on with us on June 15th. So I'm going to have her nominate the badass of the day that day. And uh, I also have to tell her that she has been uh, nominated by a few viewers as as a badass herself. So that'll be nice. Throw that at her. Uh, Jeff Harmon will be back on Thursday, June 23rd. And I still have not gotten any further confirmation about G. Edward Griffin, but... Uh, hopefully that's coming since they reached out to me. And Dr. Sean Morton. Got to get into Dr. Sean Morton. That is going to be a night. Uh, that's going to be an Outer Limits kind of a night. He is an author. And I want to talk about all of his work and what we're going to be doing that night. He's either going to be on June 30th or July 1st. So all that's forthcoming. Um, also, I want to say that Frank and Jim Zell, they were the second batch of guests last night and we were talking about that breaking and currently developing story in Utah that I have I see very little very little coverage of still to this day you'll find some headlines here of course people are talking about it on message boards and and elsewhere but uh, it's not definitely not trending on Twitter they're still talking about Johnny Depp and and um, his bed pooper girlfriend and uh that's we're going to keep on that because I know that Frank and Jim are working on a few really big leads right now with the Utah story. So when they have updates, we will have updates. I told them, listen, call in unannounced any night, any time when something breaks. Don't hold back. They said, we we hear you. No, no doubt about it. So we're not going to let that one go. 
Oh, I wanted to also show you another little something I thought was funny. We we started off yesterday with a little bit of laughing at corporate America with all of their pride nonsense. And trust me, uh, for the next 28 days or so, you're not going to be hearing me talk about this shit. But I just think that um, there are a few really interesting and fascinating things going on here. This was tweeted out by the Brooklyn Nets. This is an NBA basketball team in New York, of course. The Brooklyn Nets, they said, spread love. It's the Brooklyn way, right? Yes, I go to Brooklyn for love. That's that's always been the place I go. That's always been the place I go. First place I go for love is Brooklyn. Happy Pride Month, the Brooklyn Nets say. And what the fuck is this? What is this? You remember I said yesterday, I forget what company it was, but it, it just looked like a, you were going into hyperspace. It was just all of these chaotic streaks of different colors, and it, it, it was just chaos. What the hell is this? For everybody in podcast land, I don't even know how to describe it to you. It's just, I don't know what I'm looking at. It's blocks of stripes on top they're like overlaid and layered blocks of different collections of colored stripes. And I just don't know. So this is what happens when your computer glitches out and right before you go to blue screen of death, it's like everything just glitches out and pixelates and you get that weird sound coming out of your speakers. And like I said yesterday, it's actually very appropriate. It's confusing, it's odd, but it's very appropriate considering the level of metaphysical distress that it represents as a as a, a, a cult hive mind. You know, anybody who subscribes to this, um, remember it doesn't it doesn't represent gay people. It's just a it's a very weird military operation militarized political operation and and the battle flags are just what the hell's going on metaphysical distress so it's very appropriate but i can't believe that a marketing team for a major sports organization said yeah put that out so what's not to believe anymore look at this following up disbelief with more disbelief Headline from Gateway Pundit, expert predicts fake AI Tamagotchi children will solve population problem within 50 years. Biological offspring will increasingly become obsolete within the next five decades as would-be parents opt for fake AI children to quell concerns surrounding overpopulation. There is no concern. There is no overpopulation. We are, we are collapsing. Western society is collapsing. So once again, what are they talking about when they say overpopulation? Are they talking about Africa and the Middle East? Are are they talking, where are they talking about? And since this is Western media, why are they always concerned with places other than Western society where we are not reproducing, we are not even replacing ourselves? I mean, they're replacing us. <laughs> you can't say that out loud, but they're replacing us, and 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 our um, our chosen our chosen path of childlessness is part of that plan. 
It's a political choice, and it's been beaten into people, and everything else has been environmental sterilization. So, the, the, a, a population crisis will compel society to embrace digital children, which are not children. I, I, with minimal resources and cost nothing to raise. Artificial intelligence expert Katronia Campbell predicts a newly published book by a book AI by design, a plan for living with artificial intelligence. These people are sick bastards. Quote, virtual children may seem like a giant leap from where we are now. Uh, yeah, yes. Fake children would seem like a giant leap from where we are now with real children. Giant leap. I, I know it sounds like a big leap, but hear me out. No. 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 No thanks. We're good. As the metaverse evolves, yeah, all right. Yeah, oh, oh, this is what you know. You know what we're gonna get into because, of course, everything in the metaverse is fake. These babies are fake. But they're talking about metaverse rape and so uh, sexual harassment. You watch how many people they're gonna be talking about metaverse abortion rights because somebody's avatar got raped and impregnated by another person's avatar, and now it's just I, you watch. There's going to be metaverse abortion rights activists. You watch. Mark it down. No, I'm not a prophet. It's just that we are so stupid and this is we're so terminally ill that this will happen. Campbell claims that the virtual baby boom will usher in the Tamagotchi generation. You remember that? You remember that when like Japanese kids were killing themselves because their Tamagotchis died in the 1990s? A reference to handheld digital pets that became one of the biggest toy fads in the early 2000s. That was the late night. That was that was the early 2000s. Anyway, we're already well on our way of creating a Tamagotchi generation, which, for all intents and purposes, will be real to their parents. No, it will not. It will be a very, very depressing, very depressing substitute for an experience that I I I wish for all people I wish for all people and I know it's not possible for all people so I, I I I wish that they could adopt that there's all different types of th any ways that you can become a parent or a mentor I wish this amazing experience for all people I think it's healing I think it can heal the savage beast even better than music can so no it's not going to be an alternative you, you, you crazy nihilist psychopaths. Here's a little something from the, the White House, or from the National File, about what's going on in the White House. K-pop group. A K-pop group. Which group? What is this group? BTS? BTS, a popular Korean K-pop group, visited the White House to reignite advocacy against racially motivated attacks on Asians. There you go. They visit there to talk about Asian hate. Well, I guess this was one of the hidden advantages for making Kamala Harris vice president, because who better to bridge the gap between Asian Americans and black Americans? Since, of course, it's black Americans who are beating up the Asians almost exclusively. It's not even close. It's not controversial to say it either. 
But this, of course, because that will never be uttered, especially by people who are occupying the White House right now, this is just all, I don't know, tongue-in-cheek? This is insinuative about how we have a hate problem in the country, and we know where hatred comes from, right? If you ask the view, they would call it Christian nationalism. We got a problem with violent Christian nationalism, is what they called it. So, um, so yeah, the K-pop group, they are going to the wrong place for help. I'll tell you that much. All right, we'll be right back. Thank you for joining me tonight. I am so happy to get into our topic because I think it's cozy. I think that it's going to op- uh, offer tons of opportunities for people to share in the chat rooms, to share in email afterwards. I set up a Discord chat. Most fun job. Don't get cheeky now. There's plenty of fun jobs out there. But we're going to be talking about the most fun job you ever worked. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. You let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's rock! When you're smiling, 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 when you're smiling well, the whole world smiles at you. And when you're laughing, when you're laughing, oh, you're laughing, oh, you're laughing, mm, hey, the sun comes shining through, when you're crying. I've got some funny stuff for you here. Welcome to the show. This is the official opening of Quite Frankly. You can send in super chats. You can uh, share the show. Give it a thumbs up. Get it out there. If you're watching live, or even if you're not listening to this or watching live, you can always send Super Chats for the next day, you know. And I made it a whole lot easier for people out there to get started with their Super Chat journey, which is a great way to interact with the show, to add uh, opinions, thoughts, and anything else to the conversations we have here on a nightly basis, but also to support the show, to help us keep the lights on over here and expand operations because there's so much more to do in the digital and in the analog realm. A lot I want to do in print and you name it. But I made it all easier for you because you can go to quitefranklysuperchat.com right now and it'll bring you right to the tip of stream page, right to the donation page, so you don't have to go looking for links. Quite frankly, podcast, sorry, quitefranklysuperchat.com. It's a new URL. I have to get used to saying it. Quitefranklysuperchat.com. We'll be checking those throughout. But I wanted to bring this up, you know, because I was thinking about who uh, who could actually go out there and help K-pop groups 
who are looking to stop all the Asian hate in this country. I said, who would be out there? And since we're talking about fun jobs and, you know, wonderful, uh, memorable jobs that we all had, and I'll get into our, our wonderful, here, here's the thread right now, and it keeps growing by the moment. There's 25 entries already. There was 21 when we started. Here's the official show thread. Get there right now. You still have time to get it all in. Uh, what is the most fun job you've ever worked and why? It may not have paid the best, or maybe it did. But you had a you had great coworkers. It was a good time in your life. Uh, the work environment was comfortable and exciting. Was it a medieval times? What is it? Blockbusters in the nineties? Camp counseling? Lifeguard? Did you work at a theater? I I always envied my friends who worked at when we still had one a our movie theater in town. They worked the uh, the ticket box office and they just got to see every film that came through there. They were working with a lot of their our other friends from middle school and high school, and it's, it was great. It was great. They, they got credits for college and, of course, all the popcorn they can eat. That must, have been, that must have been a really good gig if you had it. I didn't, but I, I always uh, I can see a good gig. I know a good gig when I see one. That was one of them. So uh, I know Lauren told me a little bit about hers, so I'll, I'll throw that into the mix when we get there. But still, I was thinking, who do you call to help out with all the Asian hate? And it just so happens I have been sitting on this one story for about two or three weeks now because I had a viewer of the show. His name is Tom. He submitted this for a badass of the week or badass of the night nomination and the badass of the night that he gave us was benjamin john francis fodor aka phoenix jones you remember phoenix jones much like the movie kick-ass this was from the the email that was sent to me frank much like the movie kick-ass there are real people who will put on costumes and walk the streets and use their skills and tools not just for sport or for show, but to protect people. An MMA fighter by day, he walked the streets of Seattle, full costume by night. There are several videos of him and others protecting people and making our streets a safer place. His name is Phoenix Jones. Okay? And uh, this is Seattle's vigilante superhero. Now, um, he, he's a mass vigilante, walks the streets looking for instances of crime, he didn't wake up one morning and decide to do this. He just wanted to make a difference. Okay? Fast forward, Phoenix Jones began getting noticed in the street, which made him feel uncomfortable. This was before his superhero name, before the mask, and as a result of getting noticed and some initial fear of retaliation, he went and put on and developed his own costume. Okay? So, um... He was an MMA fighter with an 11-0 amateur record. But I was going, thinking about why, um, well, what, maybe this guy could be one of our badasses. So we went and we checked up on him. And I went and checked up on him. Here's from the Seattle Times. This is from January 28th, 2020. Headline, Seattle superhero Phoenix Jones charged after undercover drug bust. Phoenix Jones was the leader of a city's Rain City superhero movement and would don a black and gold costume with a mask and fake six-pack abs, insert himself into incidents of street violence, one dousing a group of people with pepper spray to break up a fight Seattle police later said wasn't a fight at all. (laughs) In 
<laughs> in recent years, Phoenix Jones largely disappeared from Seattle streets, and his nocturnal crime fighting went dark. But Fodor, that's his real last name, his name resurfaced last year when two confidential witnesses told a police, uh, police narcotics detective that Fodor was a drug dealer, with one of them expressing disbelief that he hadn't been caught. Court records now show. Phoenix Jones, 31 years old, and his 26-year-old girlfriend, Andrea Berenstein, were arrested on January 9th but were released from jail on January 11th, pending further investigation by police. Jail and court records show. He was charged with two counts of violation of of uniform controlled substances. So MDMA, so Molly, and uh, I don't know. He was delivering drugs to a Starbucks. Now listen, there's always a there's always a chance for people to turn themselves around, and uh, who knows? Maybe he was hard on his luck, and he was just went to the wrong place, made some bad decisions. But I really do think that the tr- the blood the drugs could have been planted to get him out of the way before the lockdowns began in 2020. I think that the globalists knew that Phoenix Jones would have stopped their plans had he not been sidetracked by some kind of a bullshit legal problem. And maybe now he can make his comeback by helping out BTS stop all the Asian hate. So I don't know if uh, if he's going to last very long wearing that costume on a New York subway, though, because that... Actually, he might stop. If you were to wear a costume like that on, on the subway systems in New York, you actually would save a lot of Asian people's lives because all the thugs would come to beat you up. You would just become a lightning rod for all of their, their violence and their, their rage. So, so I don't... Maybe. Maybe we're missing something here. Maybe he has the right idea. All right, so now here is the, the thread again. Here's the thread. What is the most fun job you've ever worked and why? Now, I was looking for this. I was really thinking about, uh, obviously, I believe that my my job is very fun. I love my job. It's fun. I can support my family, and I have a lot more plans to expand it and and do more. And I want to, you know, I just, I want to leave a mark and talk radio in a new generation of it. I just want to do that. I think it's a wonderful medium. And I'm having a lot of fun, and I take it serious, though. On the other hand, you're talking about carefree fun, really carefree fun. I think about things back, it might have been, I'll tell you, it might have been Little League coaching. I know most of that, 96, 7, 8% of that was volunteer. Every once in a while, you get you get offered a little bit of money, a stipend for going on a a, a tournament to like Rhode Island or or um, you know Maryland or something like that. You take the kids for a tournament, and and there's a little bit more by that. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you that was some really wonderful, carefree fun. I love teaching the game. I think that the, the children's personalities really start blooming at 10, 11, 12. Uh, it's right at that time where, you, where you know, they, they are starting to come into their physical abilities. They're able to balance a little bit better. They're, they're able to, to, to coordinate and really practice compound movement a lot more. And it's right before they start developing a giant ego. And those egos that are already germinating because everybody tells them how awesome they are, you can snuff that out real quick and humble them 
and we we would have such carefree fun. It really it was a lot of fun, even on the losing teams. Because I'll tell you, I took three statistical losers to the championships. One twice. And uh, I love to. I, I used to love taking last place teams to the championships. Say, so guys, get all the get all the losing out for now. Everybody gets into the into the playoff bracket at the end. Get all the losing out. Let's learn. Let's learn how to lose. That's a good time to learn how to lose, especially when getting to the playoffs is guaranteed. Other times, you know, you have to sit out on the sideline. I didn't like doing that, and that was a lot of fun for me. What what else? I don't know. Personal training could have been a personal training was fun from time to time. It was also kind of stressful. A lot of traveling, a lot of whatever. You do do what you got to do. But um I'll have more of these as time goes on. Let's get to what you guys and gals are saying. Cuz I have other things I want to throw into the mix here. First one up is from Social Experiment Use. Says Ice Rink Guard, when logos change, you have to melt so much ice out stencil and paint to refreeze you go over it with a bug sprayer to get a top coat of ice to the paint and then flood for volume driving the zamboni was fun too you know i always loved when i used to go to ice skating rinks that was in the early 90s we used to go a lot and then around 93 or 4 it just stopped but um or 95 96 but I used to love the Zambonis when everybody was was on the ice and there's, I don't know, dozens of people on the ice just doing whatever and skating around and it's getting all messed up and, and scuffed and there's shaving ice shavings all over the place. I used to love everybody having to get off and watching the Zamboni go around and just see everything get left a nice, clean, glistening sheet. So to drive that must have been awesome. Here you go. Linda Love says that one year that I went to college, I worked at Six Flags just for Fright Fest. It was only on the weekends I had to wear a Scream mask costume and sit in the back row of one of those trolley-like things and play the spooky music for the ride each time. Easiest job ever and great after-hours parties. It was like a Halloween party all weekend for a month. That sounds like a good job for Linda Love. Let's get another one. Then I'm going to go to another. Uh, I'm going to go to uh, a story over here that I think is, is, is pretty interesting. Blue Ridge commentary. As an extension of my day job for the 2018 Maryland Fleet Week, the inner harbor of Baltimore was split into four zones, each with a variety of vendors, beer tents, food trucks, etc. My three counterparts and I were each de- uh, de- designated a zone leader. I got very lucky as the only things in my zone were beer tent and a single vendor, flags of valor. Something had happened to the help, uh, to, to his help for the first morning, and I had nothing else to do, so I helped this guy from Flags of Valor, it's all veteran company who makes beautiful wooden flags, unload his trailer and get set up. I continued helping him through the weekend and built up a friendship. By the end of the weekend, he'd given me one small 4x6 POW flag that normally uh, he gives away to vets and gave me my pick from the others, which is how I ended up with a 2 foot by 3 foot or so Gadsden flag. As for the beer tent in my zone, uh, it was chronically short of volunteers, so when I wasn't driving a gator around to pick up a delivery ice, I was helping there. Eventually, the owner and some of his employees from the breweries 
came to troubleshoot and keg cooling system, and they ended up essentially volunteering to work in my beer tent all weekend. So I have to imagine, he says, besides this 14 to 16-hour days, hands down the most fun weekend I've ever been paid for. Then you probably got to have a couple of free sips, no? Well, think about this job right here. Here is from sfgate.com headline, Spotify podcasters are making $18,000 a month, you sons of bitches, with nothing but white noise, you sons of bitches. Nothing but white noise. I said, what the hell is this about? People on the prowl for a new podcast to consume often go for a stimulating option like a political debate or a true crime mystery to quicken the pulse. But when the din of the world becomes too much, listeners often need the opposite vibe, something soothing and sedating, like quite frankly. Maybe with the sound of static or falling rain, perhaps a touch of crickets. Now, I go and I I love listening to that stuff. There's a lot of great tracks that I listen to on uh, on YouTube. In fact, I often do letters on the train on this show. Where is this? Train ambiance right here. And rain. Rain splatting up against the, the train car. Makes me feel good. Let's keep reading, shall we? <clears throat> uh, enter... Quietly on tippy toes, the white noise podcasters. While the top of the podcast charts on Spotify and Apple are still dominated by garrulous, jawboning hosts. You son of a bitch. Then again, I'm not on the top of the, the charts, so what, maybe they're not talking about me. These days, you can also reliably find a smattering of white noise shows appearing in the mix. Relatively new to the podcast scene, the Tranquil programs have names like Calming White Noise, or Best Noise Labs, Relaxing White Noise, and Deep Sleep Sounds. Who is behind a popular offering is a bit of a mystery. But, supposedly, the downloads. For example, this one guy, Todd Moore. He says his White Noise team, he has five employees and contractors, offer a subscription plan, but most people listen to it for free, ad-supported version. Because Moore doesn't want to interrupt the calming aura of his show, he opts to include only pre-roll ads. Anchor manages to um, Anchor manages the commercial load and pays Moore $12.25 per thousand listens, which adds up to about $612. $50 per day or around 18,375 per month. That is for white noise. Just a calming little shh. That's why you that's why you shush the babies a little bit. Shh, shh, shh. Nah, some people really go for $18,000 a month. So, what do you think about that for a, a job? It's not necessarily a paper route. But then again, paper routes can't put several children through through college. Q Magoo says, I was a ramp rat CSR baggage handler at MDW when America West existed. Despite some uh, cursed weather conditions, it was a blast. Always in action, worked, without, uh, worked with a motley crew of fun co-workers. There was a time for people watching, downtime for eating, playing Yahtzee, or even snoozing. Enjoyed the treatment, uh, the, the teamwork of it all. Odd shift hours, turning around a plane in a minute 
with a good crew sitting in OPS and hearing what was going on in the air, playing, uh, playing back shitty pilots or paying back shitty pilots with the pushback of a plane with a jerky motion and benefits of flying standby and traveling all over the states. Picking flowers is another job I had in the 90s. For one spring through summer, I walked through the fields of flowers picking up buckets for the local floral shops. That sounds awesome. Now, I had friends that worked for Westchester County, Westchester County Airport for JetBlue because JetBlue is at Westchester County Airport. And I know most of that right there, that first one how they're working on the runway. I, I know about their de-icing, but I also know about the downtime, the pay, the flying standby. In fact, my good friend Gypsy, um, his real name is Siad, but Gypsy, he called himself the standby Gypsy. And he started a little bit of a travel blog because he can literally just go anywhere he wanted flying standby, and he often did. And uh, did you know that there are people all over the world that do these little travel tribe collectives where they are, um, I, I, they call themselves tribes, and they meet up in exotic places all over the world. Many of them travel standby as well, and they just get together. Like, as if you're you know, going downtown to meet at a local restaurant, they just have the resources on these, in these plain um these airliners, they have the resources with the airliners to go anywhere in Europe or Central or South America and have it be just like you took a, you know, a trip up to Mohegan Sun for the weekend to watch, I don't know, Louis C.K. I don't know how many times Gypsy would get into a plane and go to Spain or Paris for a week and meeting up with a couple of other people that were from Eastern Europe or... Uh, God knows where else. And it just sounded really awesome. Obviously, you need spending money. I never had that opportunity, but I loved learning about it. And he turned it into a, a travel blog. Doesn't keep up with it anymore, I don't think. But it was fun while it lasted. Um, yes. Yes, indeed. All right, 733. Let's take a really quick break. When we come back, we're going to be taking some of your calls. We're going to go into more of these odd jobs because... I also have this thread here that was uh, was sent to me again. I haven't seen in a while, but it was a it was a, a collage of all of these Twitter communists from like December of 2020, who went on and uh, they were they were fantasizing about what their job on the commune would be. What would the job on the commune be when the when the utopia is finally established and some of the responses are just hilarious. But I want to hear more from you, and and away we go. Don't go far. Good time, my heart. 
Topics, share your favorite clips, watch your favorite clips. You don't have a Reddit? Well, get signed up for all them juicy deets. Visit quitefrankly.tv. Doesn't Vince Neil sound like Eric Cartman? That one part is is too much. It's too much. It's just it was. I can't stop laughing whenever I hear that. And I saw that clip. Somebody put together the best clips, and then the um, what the lyrics sound like on top of it. And I saw it was only a minute and a half. I said perfect, perfect. We got a new we got a new video there. But what I followed it up with. What I followed it up with was that other video of people hanging out. It, it didn't look like a blockbuster, but it was definitely from the 1990s, and it was definitely a video store. And it looked like a late night, a late night shift at a video store. And they took all these empty video cartridges, or video cartridge boxes, I should say, and they set them up like dominoes and did a really elaborate domino. And that's what I, to be honest, seeing that video was my inspiration for tonight's show what was the most fun job you ever worked i can't imagine how fun it must have been to be working with people you know people you like in some place like a a record store or a a blockbuster back in the 90s when all that was culturally really important and very popular i can't imagine how fun that must have been i was definitely a consumer i was on the consumer end of things but must have been fun um, okay, so here we here we have a little bit more 
Little Miss Kate. Little Miss Kate says, Frank, I used to build crash test dummies. Midnight shift picks were epic. Crash test dummies, you're building them. Wow. Yeah, now, now, uh, now people just go and they raid the morgue and they take bodies out of the morgue. Like we, uh, we heard about the government buying bodies for science and just blowing them up. People finding out that their parents and grandparents were used for bomb testing and they were never told about that. Let's go back to crash test dummies, shall we? That's awesome, little Miss Kate. I want to see those pics, by the way. Pics or it didn't happen. Efficient Willow 2491 says the best job I ever had was bartending at the world's busiest airport. That must be fun. Oh, you think about the interactions there. Over the five years on the international concourse, meeting people from all over the world, trying to communicate with other languages, thanks Google, building relationships with regulars who would pop up to pop in to say hello, even if they were on another concourse, making connections. I had thank you cards sent from France. A priest said a blessing for me at the bar. Chocolates from Belgium. That just that was just the tip of it all. The thing I loved the most was the kindness in people, the joy, the excitement that they had when they were traveling to new exotic location. So much more I could write a book. Unfortunately, it all came to an end with COVID, and I'm still very sad about the loss. Oh, that's what That is that is sad. That is sad. You know, part of the reason why so many people are happy to talk to somebody is because, yeah, they're going on vacation, they're going away somewhere exotic, but they know that this could be the last time that they're they're on the ground alive. Oh, I was always very, very friendly with people in airports. I was soaking up human... I was soaking up life. I I don't know how... You know how stupid this is? I remember it was January 2008... January 2008, I was going with an ex-girlfriend of mine to Myrtle Beach thinking, oh, you know what, let's use some vacation days in January. So I was already like cutting into all my vacation days. And, um, and I, I, I actually, I, we, I didn't like her really. We had a lot of problems and I can tell that this wasn't going to last. So. Once we got to the airport, thinking that we're going to at least go to someplace that was 25 degrees warmer and it ended up being uh, colder than it was in New York, I remember walking down down the hallway toward the actual plane we're boarding now, and I'm running my hands along the side of the wall of this terminal. It's just like a dirty plastic wall, but I'm like, oh, I love you. Uh, this is the last time I'll be on the ground now, and I don't even like her. I don't even, <laughs> I don't even like her. And well, you know, all these years later, as you can see, I survived. But yeah, the airport, airport is very humbling. It can make you happy about a lot of things. Very, very, very easily. That sucks to have lost that job. What a wonderful. Thank you for sharing that, Willow. Hey, uh, you know, you could, ladies and gentlemen, if you're looking for a job that, that, that might be a little fun and exciting, you could be an anonymous sperm donor. But you better hurry up because there's only 49 states now left in the union that are allowing anonymous sperm donation. Take a look at this. Colorado becomes the first state to ban anonymous sperm and egg donations. Colorado, Colorado Governor. 
Jared Polis, signed into law legal uh, legislation that bans anonymous sperm and egg donations, making it the first state to do so. And um, and the move comes after jurors in the state awarded nearly $9 million to a woman who accused a former fertility doctor of impregnating at least a dozen women with his own sperm using artificial insemination. Now, it's true. We, we talked about this. Um, I need a new need a new seat hydraulics are going on me we talked about this story when it came out about the the doctor and since then i believe that there is a netflix documentary that has come out that's called our our father and i went to go check it out his name was dr donald klein this is from uh marie claire.com where's Do- where's dr klein now so Klein opened up his practice in 1979. This is just a little bit of a backstory. And he's believed to have inseminated women with his own sperm until 1986. He told his patients that the sperm donors were anonymous medical residents and that no single donor sperm was used more than three times. It was only through DNA testing records that his biological children found out that Klein had been using his own sperm. When six of his half of the half siblings confronted Klein, according to the documentary, he admitted to using his own sperm and said their parents' records were destroyed. So that was going on. I don't know why anonymous sperm donation. I don't know. I just don't know. Just because I I wouldn't want you wouldn't want the same person to be. I don't know. But anyway, like I was going to say, want an easy job. There's only 49 states in the union now that you can do this in. So, and speaking of easy jobs, let's go to this thread here. Just we'll pick around because I think it's funny. This is Ascended, the Ascended Dr. Jade PhD. This was back in December of 2020. said, what is your job? on the commune. I'm going to be a leading discuss I'm going to be leading discussion on theory some days and making clothes from scraps the other days and making lattes whenever needed. Now everybody started jumping on in to talk about what they would bring to the communist utopia. And all of these screenshots were put together on a nice little collage brought to you by 4chan of course. Thictator, the th- the thictator says, I want to be a therapist. I want to help people heal past wounds and also find their spiritual paths. I want to be an oracle of some sorts, read people's tarot, but my daily job will definitely be gardening and caretaking of the animals and the plants around our community. Oh, well, isn't that nice? The day job, caretaking of the animals, just like being friends with them and petting them on the head. That's what they all need. Wants to be a therapist. Go to the commune and heal your past wounds. Here's someone else. Suspected of socialist activity says, I don't have many skills, but since I'm learning German, maybe I could be a translator if someone needed it. Uh, I'm also decent at math, statistics, and data analysis. Does a commune need an accountant? Perhaps I can do that, LMAO. Someone responded, Well, this person's only skill appears to be nothing, really, but he might be able to translate German at some point in the future. (laughs) Here's another one. 
Mr. Molecule. I'll, I'll tell you the, the comment first. Mr. It says, Mr. Molecule here wants to teach children how to read and Buddhist philosophy. Here's what he said. I can teach kids how to read. I also had a lot of training in phonics and early childhood phonemic awareness from my time in uh, AmeriCorps. I can cook and clean, too, and do other basic elementary school education stuff. If you don't mind me teaching your kids about Buddhist philosophy. Sandy Frizzle says, oh, cooking, sparking passion, and I don't think I'd want to quit my lewd content creation. I give great rubdowns. Of course, there you go. Sparking passion. What does that mean? Somebody's having an orgasm. I have the self-care routine I can teach the younger generation. Stay the fuck away from the kids, Sandy. Self-care routine. It's like how to masturbate with random things around the house. That's the self-care routine with these people. I can rock some natural environment teaching for the kiddos. Uh, the comment attached to it was, Sandy Frizzle, on the other hand, is of the opinion that her job in the leftist commune would be sparking passion. Oh, yes. Plenty of crimes of passion going on in the commune. Uh, Trap Kafka says, I'd still be uh, an SW mostly nights and a sex worker. There you go. I'd be an SW mostly nights, and during the day, I'd hold writing workshops, sewing patches. You know, you need a patch sewed. You need something stitched. You can go to Trap Kafka over here. And cutting firewood, because I'm uh, firewood, because she's good with an axe. I'd love to see that. A little carpentry, of course, and maintaining the library. Oh, man, they're just so talented. That's it. That's great. Good good for it. Here's another one. Uh, let's see here. Let's see. I'd probably be good at tutoring. This is from Cute Adorable OWO. I usually can explain things pretty well, and I'm a fairly patient person. Explain gender. Pretty much would be able, would be in my best in any sort of advisory role since I often notice things that go unseen. I also do tarot readings as a hobby. So there you go. Um, thankfully, she'll be around. She'll, she, she'll be around just to tell people what to do. She's not necessarily good at doing it themselves, but she has the sharpest eye. She sees things that people don't see. These sound like amazing jobs. And they all expect to be fed, by the way. Talk about amazing jobs. So everybody here is pretty much just, uh, they, they want to they wanna take care of the animals and garden, or they want to teach little children. Here's another one. Here's another one. This is Sarah. Sarah says, I would teach little children how to read and write in the mornings, then help proofread any manifestos or books that need publishing in the afternoons. I'd also probably uh, help make sure the communal garden is well watered. Oh, they're such—they're just crazy. Just, just, just crazy. I mean, uh, that's all they want to do is water plants. You know that you, it's not actually good to water plants a lot. They would drown all of their crops. They all want to manage the library. I don't know where the hell they're going to do that. Uh, the, the one that said that she wanted, to, <laughs> she 
she wanted to. Uh, I think by, I'll teach children how to read in the morning, and then by afternoon I'll just settle into my den and, and proofread everybody on the commune's manifestos. Because in between watering the the uh, the new seedlings, everybody goes home and they write their manifesto. So there's plenty to be edited. So there, there you have it. There's a little bit more, a little bit more from the fantasy land that is the utopian left, ladies and gentlemen. Let's take a call from Mike, Physical Graffiti. What's going on, Mike? Hey, man, can you hear me? I can hear you. What's on your mind? Um, this is really off topic, but... How quick is it going to be? In 1970... Okay. I, I, uh... Saw Richie Blackmore and Ronnie James Dio killer show, but it 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 was a revolving tour. I, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Um, that Ario would headline one night, and then Richie would headline the other night. So, unfortunately, um, Ario headlined that night. He, look, I'll give him that. In, in 78, they were fucking great, but uh, okay. I have to Okay, see, Go, so, so what happened? See, I, I happened to see, sitting behind the stage at Winterland, um, Richie Blackmore snorting coke. And then... And look, Cozy Powell, probably the best drummer ever, but he was like right behind me. But Richie snorted a lot of coke and then came out on stage and smashed the fuck out of his guitar. It was probably the most incredible show I've ever seen. Plus, Frank. I have to admit, it was the first time I ever had liquid LSD poured into my eyes. Into, <laughs> into your eyes? Yeah. And look, dude, look, behind the stage, okay. sitting behind Tulsi Val, look, I know you're a drummer, dude. I know you know. I know you know who the fuck he was. What 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 an, an incredible show! And are you sure it wasn't just Richie, the LSD? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Okay. Fucking then I know it was. <laughs> okay, so there, there you have it. Then you, you, yeah, I, I understand. Well, that's. Interesting. You got to see some of your heroes snorting coke, and you got LSD in the eyes. And thank you for that, uh, Mike. It's a wonderful story. I have to move on because we're going up to the uh, the top of the hour here. Let's see if we have. Let's see what's on the other side of the line. Three fourteen. What's going Hi. on? Hey, Frank. Can hey. You hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Go ahead. Hey, hey, buddy. Oh, you're talking about jobs. So, I my life's been uh, kind of a catch me if you can. Ever see that movie? <laughs> yes. Right? So, uh, yeah, I think the, uh, well, I worked on a ship, you know, I drove taxi, worked on pipelines, traveled all over, 
I'm down in Florida. I was just running a drawbridge. That was fun. <laughs> but I left that job, too. But anyway, uh, the funnest job I ever had was I was probably 20 years old, and I was barking in a carnival and uh, running the game. And we stayed in motels, made enough money. Uh, our crew, we traveled all over, all over the uh, southern United States from Michigan. So that was a great job. So and, you were uh, you were actually you were actually a carnival barker. Yeah, well, we didn't live like one. We we had motels and so many girls. And we are so young. So what? I'm 58 now. So uh, yeah. yeah, I was going to ask, what year was this around? Oh God, probably uh, 87. So you were you were you were carnival barking in 1987. Now, what what set your carnival uh, aside from others? What would you say was your main draw? Obviously, you have to know that because you have to you have to you have to really attract people to come on in. Oh yeah, well I had, had to get over uh, being shy. That was for sure. Uh, you call people in. I, I I stood a bottle up, a stick and a string and a bottle up. You ever see that? No. And uh, no. <laughs> okay. And a lot of the games, you can make them win or you can make them lose, right? So there's a little karma I'm still wearing off from that. But, oh. uh, so, yeah, if you want to, to draw a crowd, you, you let somebody win, right? So that's how that went. But I think it was just uh, for about six of us, our crew, we just, it was growing up time and it was, it was amazing. I still think back about it. Did you have a, did you have a bearded lady? <laughs> No, no, not in our. What, what about our, uh, what about in, 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 so no no types of sideshows, no shrunken heads, no, you know, n nothing like that. No, but the ride jocks are pretty scary looking. Mm. Guys who used to run the ride. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's that's incredible. No, no. I, I'm glad. That, and, and you only yeah. did that one summer, or or how 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 often did you do that? Just in your twentieth year. I. Yeah, just for nine months. Jumped down the road. Well, I went. Yeah, it was great. And I, then taxi driving, that was amazing up in the Yukon. Same thing, meeting people, cash, and bringing people to the bars and back every night. And so, what What are the most uh, the most interesting conversations? Is is it going to the bar or coming back from the bar? Usually going to the bar because they're a little fucked up on the way home. Right. I was going to say, <laughs> a lot of people would think, oh, no, it's probably going back for, coming back from the bar if they're, just, if they're a little bit loose. But, you know, there's, there's very, <laughs> few, very few people who, who stop at a little bit loose. They usually get smashed, and then you can't get anything coherent out of them. Yeah, and they're all just diving to get into your cars. We didn't have too many cars on the road, which yeah. was great, like our, our company. So, yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for and, this. Thank you for the yeah, call. Great topic. Thanks for listening, Frank. Absolutely. I appreciate it. I really do. A carnival barker. Wow. I mean, that is something that we just use as a uh, as a way to refer to somebody who is just bombastic and, uh, you know, really wants to sell their brand. I've, I've referred to Donald Trump as a carnival barker quite a few times. You know, just, just as assessing a personality, that's all. But that he actually worked. He worked it. That was his that was his gig.
All right, 7.58, ladies and gentlemen. We are going to be back in just a moment. I want to take a really quick intermission. I want to encourage you all to please sponsor the show if you can. Independent media needs it in a very, very big way. Go to quitefrankly.tv, go to the Sponsor Us tab, see all the ways that you can become a sponsor. I would, uh, I would nudge you toward Subscribestar or Quite Frankly TV directly right there on the page. That would be wonderful. You get uh, direct messaging, whether it be prioritized email or the direct messaging on any of the, the official um, the platforms like Subscribestar or Patreon. Uh, there's followbacks on Twitter or elsewhere. And of course, you are always at the very bare minimum because there are other specialized tiers for postcards, for pen pals, for Polaroids, for video messages, all that stuff. Um, Aside from all of that, everybody, even if you pledge a dollar a month, everybody gets a link sent to them for the um, for the Sunday unlisted patron streams. That's just about a half hour to an hour of us hanging out on a Sunday afternoon and um, and just chilling and talking about what we're eating that night and anything else that happened over the weekend. I encourage you all to come on as a sponsor or at least to share the show. Sponsor us through social media by becoming a chief syndicator of ours. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. We will be right back. Don't go anywhere. Welcome to Intermission. We'll, we'll be right back. Quite frankly. 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 We all support quite frankly. Not quite. Let's go, Brandon. I agree. Yeah. Quite frankly, in Roma, Italia. Quite frankly, you going on Frank's show tonight? I really like you. You're very smart. So everybody watch. Quite frankly, with Frank. Quite frankly. How dare you? My friends, 
Welcome back. Let's see what the Super Chats have brought us. I want to see what people are thinking, then we'll get to some more calls, and lots going on here. Anita Lay, don't we all? Oh, doesn't say anything. Just gave me a nice message. No message, a blessing. Thank you, Anita Lay. Very nice of you. Thank you so much. On to the Rumble. Selling the Farm says, thanks, Frank. Great show, or good show. Well, I guess that's just as good as great. And thank you to everybody on Foxhole. Now, on Foxhole, we have Judy the Lady Pug sending a cookie. Swickly says, I'm blessed with the most fun job making VFX for Call of Duty. Very grateful. Swickly, really? I didn't know that. Uh, so, Swickly, you contribute to the production of new Call of Duty games? I did not know that. Then again, how would I? Thank you for sharing. Filter Dog 1 says, I prefer Love Jones. I prefer Love Jones. I don't get it. But, I'm. That's okay. PQuest, thank you. Boyce Blanc, thank you. Rise Attires is best job of mine. My current one, owner of Rise Attire, craziest job? Crime scene cleanup, no joke. Oh, damn. Crime scene cleanup, that must have uh, left you with a, th a few odd memories. Maybe that'll be a, a topic for another night. I'm, I'm interested in stuff like that. Filter Dogs, his best job was horse wrangler on a ranch in Colorado mountains after college. Alas, students' loans caught me. A horse wrangler. Mute Loudmouth says misheard lyrics version of Yellow Leadbetter is legendary. Rivals Vince Neal's performance. I had to check it out. Thank you, Siege. Siege says, where is Rob? Rob is not here. Haven't you noticed? But go to kungfuchannel.com because he's still doing his weekend show, uh, his his weekend um, class, and and all the classes throughout the week. You can there's monthly packages. Go check that out. Frank Staint, thank you so much, Frank Staint, and Dr. Hoffman, Stostube, Dr. Hoff. Oh man! And now there's a, a war happening. There's a cookie war between Dr. Hoffman and Stostube. They're going to be punch drunk after this. I don't know if they're going to be able to walk away in one piece. But let's get back to what we have going on at hand. I have a couple of other things I want to say real quick first, though. Frank, I'm taking my family to Disneyland next week. That's this week. If you can tell my beautiful daughter, daughter Haley Mae, happy birthday. Haley Mae turns 16 on Sunday, Sunday before Memorial Day. We will be celebrating on the way to California. She's amazing. She's funny. She got straight A's in her sophomore year of high school. We're so proud of the young woman she's turning out to be. Thanks, Frank. Have a great weekend. That is Urban in Arizona. Oh, man. Haley May, congratulations. That is such a great little progress report that I have gotten from your family. Happy birthday to you. Enjoy the time out there in Disneyland. And... Remember, do not scream too loud when you're on the roller coasters because that will spread COVID. So keep your mouth shut. 
have no expression of joy on your face the entire time you go down whatever roller coaster you're on. In fact, that's something that we always used to do when we were um, when we would go to Universal Studios and stuff like that. We knew that on like if we went on the on the, the Jurassic Park ride at Universal Studios in in Florida, you go the big the big drop is right at the end. The Tyrannosaurus Rex is going to come in and swoop at you in your little log flume, and you go down. You go just right down this big hill, and then you splash into the splash zone, and then everybody on standing around the splash zone gets wet too. So, it, you know, it's a it's mutually beneficial. And um, and uh, what what well you get a picture. And usually, all these rides they have several cameras set up so that whenever you're going down they can capture you screaming or squealing in delight well we would go on these these rides so often that we would think of i know a lot of people probably do this we would think of weird things to do when the camera goes off our favorite thing to do would be to just be be completely stone-faced as we're going down as if we we could we couldn't care less we just couldn't care less just dead inside and uh and that it would just be funny and we took quite a few funny pictures though i don't know if we kept any because it costs a lot of money to get those pictures so we would just run to the gift shop and see all the pictures that are cycling through on the wall as a preview and we would see it we would laugh and we'd walk away you know just ruin everybody else's picture because there's only one picture per cart so if you have strangers in the cart with you <laughs> what are they going to do? Take us home? They're not going to do that. But anyway, Haley May, enjoy. Good work to you. I love hearing about that. Gives me a lot of hope for Aurora when I hear about all these well-adjusted 16-year-old girls. Okay, let's see here. Um, I'd like to shout out. This is, hold on. What is this? This is from Nathan. Nathan says, Frank, I'd love to shout out my wife, Sandy. Without her, these last five months would be a disaster. I had a lot of dark days in the beginning of this health journey of mine. Still a little bit to go. And just wanted to shout out his wife, Sandy. So Sandy and Nathan, all the best to you. And one last shout out I have here is from a listener of the show named Ruben. And Ruben, Ruben's got a nice family unit. And he said, oh, we all love you out here and named all of his children. I said, oh, I'm going to give them shout-outs shout out, shout outs then. Well, Ruben's got quite a brood brewing. we got Dakota, Landon, Peyton, and especially little William. So I hope that the whole family is having a wonderful time, especially little William. And if the rest of the kids are, are uh, upset that little William has been given... Um, special attention. Well, you can blame that on Reuben. <laughs> Your father, probably. Don't call him Reuben, though. That's disrespectful. Um, here's something I wanted to say since we're talking about cool jobs. If you wanted to be a wedding officiator, if you want to officiate weddings while dressed as Elvis, you might have a little bit of a problem. Listen to this. From France24.com, Elvis wedding crackdown leaves Las Vegas all shook up. 
Every year, thousands of visitors to Las Vegas can't help falling in love at least long enough to get married by an Elvis impersonator. But the company that controls the rights to the king's likeness has sparked outrage in Sin City by cracking down on dozens of wedding chapels offering Elvis-themed nuptials. Authentic Brands... Authentic Brands Group, which bought a controlling stake in Elvis Presley's estate in 2013. You know, I never actually thought about that. I never actually thought about that. That this is an image and likeness issue that would need to be licensed. And that the Elvis estate probably makes so much money off of the impersonators alone. Jeez, I never even thought about that. Last month, they sent a cease and desist letter to companies offering the kitschy weddings. The move triggered angry response from Elvis impersonators, chapel owners, and even the mayor of Las Vegas. Quote, Elvis Presley long called Las Vegas his home, and his name has become synonymous with Las Vegas weddings, Jason Whaley, president of the Las Vegas Wedding Chamber, told Associated Press. The Vegas Wedding Chamber shares a concern that many of our chapels and impersonators' livelihoods are being targeted, especially as many are still trying to recover financially from the burdens or the hurdles that we all endured with COVID shutdowns. On Wednesday, the Las Vegas Review-Journal reported that ABG had instead offered chapels financial partnerships, including annual licensing deals, to continue business as usual. That's their solution to pay $20,000 a year to do what we've been doing for the past nine years, said Kayla Collins, co-owner of the Las Vegas Elvis Wedding Chapel. That's not on the table a few days ago. This was not on the table a few days ago. Frankly, I think this is going to the public. Uh, this is going, uh, this thing going public has changed their minds. Wow. Now, have you, have you actually been married before an Elvis impersonator in Las Vegas? And if you did, did the wedding last? Or did you go to Las Vegas having already been married and just wanted to renew your vows in a goofy way? I would love to know, I would love to meet somebody and talk to them about getting married in Vegas in a uh, really kitschy chapel by the power of an Elvis impersonator who has obviously been given been been granted official power to uh to perform the nuptials at least in a a legitimate government sense but obviously uh religiously this is a this is weird still did you last 25 years are you about to celebrate your 50th wedding anniversary and the only the only ceremony you had was this chapel appearance with Elvis? I would love to know about that. So, okay, let's go to the calls. 252, you're on the air. You have a, what was your most fun job in life? Growing bud out in NorCal, bud. Okay, so let's talk about this a little bit. So when were you growing bud in NorCal? Uh, I lived out in Ukiah. Uh, actually, I, I know that during that one uh, story about Jim Jones, you had a problem uh, pronouncing that town. I lived out there. Really? Kaya. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, I uh, moved out there in like 2010 on a whim. My buddy got off a Grateful Dead tour, 
in a big old school bus and he ended up on a pot farm. Called me on out. Uh, I went out there. I've had some crazy ass experiences. Um, then the second year I was out there, I was lucky enough because, you know, it's a kind of easy going job. Once you get everything done in the spring, you have not much to do until harvest. So I started hosting a radio show. Um, and I'm a musician and I kind of used that to meet a bunch of musicians and get to play music with some cool cats. Um, and then I guess this could kind of go into like six degrees of separation too, because, uh, I, uh, got to hang out with Willie Nelson's kid, Lucas. I had him on my radio show wow. a couple times, interview him. And then I played with this cat named, uh, Brian Jordan, who played with James Brown and Dave Matthews and stuff like that. So, so, what, uh, so that was probably the coolest job. So were you still getting it? How were you getting paid? You got paid uh, through the radio gig while you were waiting for the harvest to come in, or were you were still there? Still, uh, no, things... the radio gig was a volunteer spot at a local uh, radio station, not for profit. And then, like, I basically just shot my money away. I would uh, go see as many, many shows as I could. I was down in San Francisco was the party spot because there's nothing up in Northern Cali. So you drive on down the 101 into San Fran send a bunch of pounds out through the mail to home. I'm from Illinois, send a bunch of weed out to my buddies back home so I can make money. And then, uh, you know, I was so, living the, the hippie dream for a little bit, bud. All right, so so uh, what year was this again? What years did this happen? Uh, I moved out there at the beginning of February 2011, and then uh, I got more out on the scene. I started getting more and more red-pilled. Uh, I ruined my radio show because I started going off on fucking conspiracy theories, and I found out I was, a, at this time, I was a huge deadhead, you know, I was big into Jerry and, and uh, the dead and all that, that's one of the reasons why I moved out that way, and then I found, I, I creeped down into, like, the conspiracy theory about some of the members hanging out at the Bohemian Grove and mm -hmm. playing music out there with them fuck sticks, and, uh, and then uh, that kind of shit kind of ruined that for me, and I was kind of delving, I, I would drink a little bit on the air, Frank, I'm not going to lie. And then I'd fucking uh, go down rabbit holes on there, and people don't, didn't really want to hear that shit out there. No, wow. So, didn't want to hear it. I got uh, red-pilled. I started listening to Rogan, which led me to, like, Shapiro and them cats. And then I started, uh, started getting red-pilled, and then I was like, the scene kind of wore off on me. Being around a bunch of worthless hippies kind of wore off on me. And uh, I decided to move back home, get a real job. And now I'm out in North Carolina at a chemical fertilizer plant which is a pretty cool job, too, because of the process and everything uh, of uh, how they make chemical fertilizers. Uh, but I've been everywhere in this country going to see music, and I did it a lot because of uh, Growing Bud. Well, that's amazing. So so that that is a, a a window of time that afforded you a lot. What what, kind of, what, what were your fa favorite strains that you were growing out there? Um, I was a really big fan of uh, Jesus OG. Mm -hmm. which is from uh, Subcool Strata or something like that. It was uh, I was out of a little town called Hoplin, the collective where that, they were selling that. Um, and then, you know, uh, any of the gassy strains like Sour Diesel. Uh, when I first went out there, Blue Dream was a big hit. Oh, yeah. And I love that. It was a big hit over and, here, uh, too. I used to yeah, I, I like, used to uh, love I used to love Blue Dream. Alaskan Thunderfuck is pretty good. Flight Rhino, those <laughs> old school strains. Alaskan Thunderfuck. Oh my yeah, God. but it's it's uh it was weed that was made to be grown in Alaska, 
uh, it was pretty tasty. Well, dude, I, I appreciate this. Uh, th- this is a th- this is a fun uh, a fun job you're talking about, and of course it came and went. It served its purpose, and it yeah. sounded like you had a lot of fun. I, I, I thank you for this. Yeah, it was uh, pretty funny when I like uh, interviewed for this job I have now. They you got to like fill out the resume, you know. And this normie job here. I had to kind of fib a little bit. I told him I was a musician out in San Francisco, but uh, oh, who cares? Yeah. I, I, and, uh, honestly, you know you can bring. Yeah, right on. Have a good one, man. Oh, oh, okay. Well, we'll have a good one. I, I was just, I was, I was just gonna say, I was just gonna say. Honestly, it doesn't. What, who cares? You know, it does. Uh, you're working at a chemi- a fertilizer plant. You were working with crops before. Why would they look down on you? You know, I, I think that actually goes hand in hand. And 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 it's not like first of all, that is a huge thing. In California, on the West Coast, especially now, even more and more uh, with the cultivation process, it's 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 a it's a big economic force, and it's only going to get more um, more prevalent. So, I wouldn't have hit it. I wouldn't have hit that. That that's uh that that that's uh, I think it goes hand in hand. Some of these places are probably going to use some of that fertilizer, actually. But that's interesting. You know, I was thinking about this the other day. Because you know, I have a friend. I have a friend who who works. I have a few friends who work in this industry, and I always ask him about what is on his menus. You know, when he's making his his deliveries, and you know, he 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 works in a in a recreational legal state, and so he goes and he he makes deliveries and all that stuff, and I just I love seeing what the hell's on his menu from time to time, and the names. I started thinking these names. If we can go through a list. Of some of these new strain names, the 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 cannabis strains, they are perfect band names. Perfect band names. Alaskan Thunderfuck. The Alaskan Thunderfucks are coming over tonight. We're gonna we're they have a you know they go on at nine o'clock. There's a couple of local openers and blah blah blah. You oh you never see you never heard them. Oh man, you're gonna love them. What was it like? Violet Fog. That's one that's going around right now. Violet Fog. Um, oh man, so many. What and what would they? What would they sound like? That's what I should do one night. I'm gonna get a list. I'm gonna get a list of some some really popular cannabis strains right now. We're going to think about them as band names and then figure out what kind of music they would play. There's a bit right there. Okay, let's go back to our thread. Let's see how people are doing. Let's see how people are doing. One second. All right. Upside Down 77 says, In the early 2000s, I waited tables at a restaurant in Waikiki Beach overlooking the ocean. I saw hundreds of beautiful sunsets and hilarious conversations with people, and then partied my ass off at night. It was a great time before smartphones and before the world went crazy. Hmm. That is nice sounding. Bulky Recognition says, It was actually a new McDonald's that opened up in my hometown, uh, my home college town, in 1988. I was 16. I closed almost every night, getting home around 2 to 3 a.m., and would have to be at school by 7.30 a.m., but it never bothered me. We had a jukebox that played old 50s and 60s hits. When the doors closed for the night, we deep-cleaned the store, dancing and cleaning to Buddy Holly and the like. Our management demanded perfection from us as employees, but always let us do our perfection with good tunes and a great sense of humor. 
It was hard work scrubbing and sanitizing every inch of that store, getting two hours of sleep, going to school, and doing it all over again. But man, was the environment fun. Plus, it taught me so much about what to expect as an employee from an employer. One night, our store stayed open for the local college basketball team coming in from a road game. We did this often for the local college teams. We all knew the team would be loud, obnoxious, and leave us far more work, but we were excited to stay open for our winning team. But the enthusiasm that was soon squashed when a cocky player made an extremely inappropriate remark to the 16-year-old girl. Before I could even react, my manager was giving the coach an earful, explaining to the coach who was um, witness to this player's indiscretion what an insult this was, not only to me, but to the whole store staff who volunteered to stay late, only to be degraded by our hometown team. The manager demanded an apology. I was never so embarrassed and proud in my entire life. So let's just say that the next time we stayed open for a local team, they were far more respectful and even less messy. I miss the days of good customer service, great management, and respectful customers. Ah, the days. Yes. Yes. First of all, this is this is right up my uh, my uh, my target. This is what this was the target. I I knew things like this were out there. Working at even a McDonald's. And just being able to, you're, you're with a staff that you like, music, you're, that sounds great. But it's true. Customer service is horrendous. Consumers, respectful customers, there are, no, there are rarely any of those anymore. Great management, horrendous. They are just slightly elevated people in the feeder system from the bad customer service representatives. They have no power. They're just someplace for the, the bad customer service representatives to kick up a complaint to someone else so they don't have to deal with it so that they can finally say, it's out of my power. It's, it's, uh, it's, out of my, it's, it's not in my control and uh, that, that's just company policy. I'm sorry, you'd, you'd have to call corporate. Oh man, the customer service sucks but you still have good experiences in places. It happened over the weekend with uh, th this grill that I bought. Really great customer service in a small a small um, appliance place in Stanford, Connecticut. It was called Planet TV. Planet TV and appliances on High Ridge Road. They, they were great. They were really, really great. If you're in the area, I would go there. They bent over backwards for us and they made sure we had a grill and they gave us a wonderful discount. Um, and they were right next to a hookah store. So I think I might go back up there because I want to get some... I haven't had hookah in so long. I just want to make sure we have stuff here for whenever we do go live on a Saturday night. I want to puff on something tasty. So I might just go back and let them know how the Weber works. Okay, let's see here. Uh, get off the lawn says, I was a low-level manager for a cinema. Head office were... Head office were awful. Customers were beyond awful, but the other staff were some of the best friends I ever made and continue to be years after I left for a better life. Real sense of we're in this together mentality and laughed our way through it and still laugh together to this day. There you go, a cinema. Well, I'm sorry that you had bad customers and, and bad head office, but it's awesome that you had great co-workers 
All right, let's take a let's take a call or two. 914-595-6953. What is it? 826. We're doing pretty good. Until they start coming in, I want to I want to get most fun jobs. If you're on Discord, you want to talk about a most fun job you had, jump into the Discord. Trying to keep it on topic tonight. Elevator Dependent 765 says 2010 to 2013 I worked for one of my earliest jobs as a manual machinist in a small shop in Lehigh Valley, Pennsylvania. Very tight-knit group of guys, strong morals, lots of knowledge to pass along to a younger up-and-coming machinist like me. Every day was fun with jokes and banter among us while we worked, paid company lunch once a month, and generally just a fun, laid-back family atmosphere to work in. Wouldn't trade the experience for anything. I think most people wouldn't. That sounds great. Here's another one. Ugly Ape says, after graduating with a BA in theater in 2006, I was a house manager for a professional children's puppet theater. Paul Mesner is a master puppeteer from Kansas City, and his company toured across the United States and performed locally for many years. I learned so much about the art of puppetry. It is a timeless and enchanting art form, and to witness daily family and children enjoy it firsthand was unforgettable. People respond to puppets unlike any other performance art I've witnessed. There is a deeply rooted response to it when it comes to physical comedy or even dramatic sequences. It's worth contemplating. I apply many of the theatrical principles to my work currently. Good times. You know, that would be great to talk about one night. I just don't know how to expand the conversation. Ugly Ape, if you can email the show, maybe you can give me some ideas on how we can expand the conversation because I almost got choked up when you said that the timeless enchanting art form and to witness daily family and children enjoy it firsthand was unforgettable because, of course, I'm thinking about Aurora and thinking about myself and, and puppets. I knew, even as a child, this is not a living thing. I knew it was not a living thing. I knew that he, that like, for, for example, the ventriloquist, and if we're talking about just a ventriloquist, uh, ventriloquy um, act, I knew that the man or the woman was controlling the puppet in their lap. But it just didn't matter. The puppet came to life. The jokes were still funny. Um, you know, to, to get closer to the puppet, you really even you really believed, I really believed at least, that this thing had a life of its own. And even and, and maybe perhaps it was just drawing from the ventriloquist. It was drawing it needed the ventriloquist to come to life, but when the ventriloquist was working it, it was its own person. You know, even as it went got older, it's still it's still awesome. And it's almost a little uh, disconcerting when you see the, when you see the, uh, whatchamacallit, the, um, the puppet just not alive anymore. Like, oh, what, what happened? Is he sleeping? I don't know. But there is something there, because as you said, it is ancient. Timeless, enchanting art form, but ancient. Puppetry is ancient. And I would love to talk about that, and apparently... Uh, okay, yeah, okay, apparently Ugly Ape we know very well, but he's just being anonymous, so I'm... Okay, so that'll be easy. That'll be easy. We'll figure that out one night. Hands down, a small pizza chain. People were great. The policies were down to earth. 
They paid well too, plus there was an arcade and free personal pizza for lunch. Oh, that's from Ezra Bet Mayhem. That sounds terrific. An arcade. Give me one of those. Anybody work at an arcade? That's what we're missing so far. 817, you're on the air. Who's this? Hey, this is uh, Steve from Texas. Steve from Texas. What do you got for us, friend? Uh, Well, I was just going to talk about the, the exciting job that I had, really. <laughs> I'm just surprised I got through, man. <laughs> oh, well, here you are. Well, let's say did this this job you had, was it, uh, is it in recent years, is it as a child? I I tend to well go ahead. Uh oh well I mean it was just uh right at the end of high school it was just uh working for the school district it was, I mean man it was nothing exciting I just wanted to call and see if I if I could really get through. Well you're in. I didn't know you did uh, call screenings that's 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 good man. <laughs> it's just me over it here. Was, that's good that's what's up. It, so yeah so this job was just a, a like a landscaping job and. Uh, I I found a lot of uh, satisfaction in just doing like uh, you know yard work and stuff, and I thought it was a really fulfilling sort of a sort of a job, man. But <laughs> so how how long did you do that? How long did I do it? Yeah, I did that for three years actually. My uh, my last my last two years of high school, and then uh, one year after that. That's uh, you know, and and I have to imagine that, that was aside from the setting. Did you have good coworkers? Were the the same people, or were there was a lot of uh, turnover? Oh no, no, it was it was a very uh, it was kind of a word of mouth sort of a thing. You had to know somebody, and my my friend that I knew was a was a janitor, and I mean it, it's not it's not too exciting, but I was gonna I was gonna throw in a little. Uh, a little exciting fact that I'm like a recovering vegan. <laughs> recovering vegan. Okay. <laughs> yeah, recovering vegan. I, I guess, but uh, I'm, I'm just trying to keep it short and sweet, man. I, I know y'all are pressed for time. So. Oh no, no, I I really appreciate it. Hey, I, you know I did, and and thank you for the call. Uh, this is Steve from Texas. I forget. Yes, it's Steve from Texas. Steve yes, from sir. Texas. Let me make sure I have you, um, Steve from Texas. You are now saved in the Skype. So maybe next time. I will know it's you. Thanks, Steve. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Hey, hey great job. I love what y'all do. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, man. And I'm happy. I'm happy you're having a good time tonight. I'm glad you got through. So there's Steve from Texas. I once started a. Well, I wanted to start a landscaping business because I saw a couple other guys doing it around in high school, and I was like, you know what? They got quite a few. They're making hundreds of dollars a, a month, and that's a lot of money back then. If you're in high school and you got nothing going on and it's all cash, and I'm like, damn, I want to do that myself. I can do this. I'm going to expand the services. I'm going to do, I'm going to seed yards. I'm going to, you know, whatever. We had nothing. We had nothing we could do. No, no real skills. We were just going to go out and figure it out. We had one client and uh, they stiffed us on the, the money that they owed us because I think that they just did not believe that we knew what we were doing but we tried to to plant them new grass it was like a mexican family i thought that was interesting you had me and and another friend of mine two italian kids now going to service the lawns of the mexicans that was uh that was a that was humbling but (laughs) but the 
the funny thing was that when we made up all of the flyers for our new landscaping business, we were, we were calling it Paisan Landscaping, all right? But the font that we picked was so bad, and I don't know why we didn't notice it at first, that after we printed it out and we had like 50 pages of flyers there, we looked at it and we noticed that it looked like prison, prison landscaping. Like there was a weird background. It, it, it was weird because we showed a few people who like prison landscaping. I'm like what? No, it's, it's Paisan. It's Paisan. How do you see prison? And I kept looking at it. I was like, yeah, this sucks. And we g- I gave up on it. So no, no more prison landscaping for me. <laughs> It wasn't really a, uh, a fun job, to be honest. I didn't, I didn't have a lot of fun with it. If it was successful, it would have been fun. But it was just a lot of, a lot of work, and, uh, and, and nothing came back. Nothing came back in return. But we tried. Tried we might. Tried we may. Tried we did. Okay, let's go back to the Super Chats before I go into the thread again, and then some more, some more calls. Keep the calls coming in. Twisted Wizard said my last job at a trailer factory was awesome. I was on straight afternoons and I got to make swords and an axe and a war hammer and a blade flail. My best one was a six foot long Estoc, uh, Estoc sword out of scrap steel. Picks sent on Discord. Let's see here. Let's see. Let's see what I can do. Put that up. Here's some of Twisted Wizard's sword making. What the hell is this? Was that a dragon head? Damn. So this is just what he got to do on the side. Well, that's interesting. Swing that thing around. There you go. Blade at the end of a chain. Oh, boy. Well, don't mess with Twisted Wizard. Because he probably has some kind of sharp device up his sleeve. Man. All right, let's go. Let's go a little bit more. On Pilled, Stostube says, Try this again. No war, just dropping some love. Support for the show with... The one and only Dr. Hoffman. Oh, so now it seems in this storyline that Stostube and Dr. Hoffman have put aside all their petty differences. They have teamed up to just blast the show with combined love instead of there being a a, a, a war. Uh, Filter Dog says, Love Jones is Johnny Guitar Watson's song. Forgot why I posted it. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, Spicoli, I want to give a shout-out to all my ex-bitches. Fuck y'all. There's Spicoli. Coming in salty. B-Tech Vendetta says, incoming. Oh, damn, and now I'm getting buried in cookies. I love this. Mute Loudmouth says, I'd love to collab on those reefer band sounds. Let's do it. I mean, I, don't, I'm a, I won't be able to create the music. I should tell Anthony about that. I said, Ant, you know what would be really fun, but it, it might be too, I don't know. I mean, he curses in some of his videos. It, it might just be funny. Uh, you know, I'm going to tell him that. Because he does 20 styles. He'll take a song in 20 styles. Why don't you take 20 marijuana, car- uh, you know, d- some cannabis strains and create a sound for each of them? I'm going to tell him that. 
C. Blanche, thank you. Thank you, Stowe Stube and Dr. Hoffman. And Dixie Six says, I worked at a laser tag place when I was in my early 20s. I loved it. That sounds awesome. I love laser tag. So that just sounds awesome. At least he didn't work at an airsoft place because some of my best, some of the funniest things to watch on the internet, and also some of the most pathetic things to watch on the internet, is fights at airsoft, airsoft fights. People who are with the airsoft guns who are, you know, not following the rules or they're using illegal things or they're shooting people and the tensions are just high and people are attacking each other and showing up in all this gear thinking that they really are special ops and stuff. It's pathetic. But aside from that, if you if it doesn't escalate that way, it, it looks pretty fun. It looks awesome. Okay. What else? What else? Back to the thread. We're doing good here. We have a couple more minutes before we go to our badass. Drunk boater says raft guide every morning. Drunk after, uh, uh, drunk every after, high every morning. Drunk every afternoon. Laid every once in a while. Well, a raft guide. Uh, so, uh, what are you? You getting? I would, I would say, wh- who are you? Are you hooking up with coworkers? Are you hooking up with people who are coming into your boat? Getting stoned in the morning, drunk every. So, is it whitewater rafting? I would not want to be high and drunk on a whitewater raft. I would, I would drown on the first day. Narco Nurse 52 says, I was a zookeeper for five beautiful years of my life. I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah as an animal lover. I lucked out having a zoo uh, d- docent. A zoo docent? Who lived down, I don't know what that is. Who lived down the street from me. A docent is a volunteer. Oh, okay. D O C E N T. And can work in many different programs. She did rehab on wild raptor birds. So in her yard and house, she always had bald eagles, owls, various raptors, and of course, cages of mice and rats for food. I spent a lot of time with her as a teenager, and I would house sit for her when she went on vacation, taking care of the birds, the rodents, and her personal German shepherds. In 1984, the year I graduated high school, she moved to New Mexico. Unbeknownst to me, she had went to the zoo director and put my name at the top of the volunteer list. Normally, there is a two-year waiting list to become a volunteer back then. When I got the call to see if I wanted to start, I thought I died and went to heaven. For the year I was a volunteer, I worked mainly in what was called the small animal habitat. It was set up with a rainforest in the center and then divided into desert, African, and Asian-type environments. All the snakes were housed there, plus smaller monkeys, mammals, birds, and gators. In similar fashion as to how I got my volunteer job, some of the keepers got together and approached the director. They said that he needed to hire me as I was uh, there when the paid employees didn't show up for snow days, etc. So at age 19, I became a zookeeper at the Hogel Zoo, in Utah. It was some of the best days of my life. As things happen when you are young, I met and fell in love with another keeper. And to avoid nepotism, I left the zoo and we had two daughters. We are no longer together, but my ex is still a keeper there and our oldest daughter volunteers at times. Well, that's a wonderful story. That's great. Narco Nurse 52. Thank you for that. Well, we only have a few more. I don't want to leave too much behind 
Um, let's see here. When I was in college, I had an opportunity to work with a PhD student studying the genetic distribution of northern co uh, ghost hawks and other birds of the same family. It was on a volunteer basis. However, they helped me with my meals, my travel. We spent two months and a summer deep in the Adirondacks trapping, banding, and taking blood samples from ghost hawks. Ghost hawks. Ghost hawks? Ghost hawks? To be able to observe and handle such elusive and magnificent animal was experience I will never forget. It's a shame that their populations are doing well in the east. There is much speculation as to the cause, whether it be disease, predation, lack of habitat. It's likely all of the above. I just hope we never lose them. What the hell is a ghost shock? Let's see. Northern ghost shock. Ah. Pretty birds. Pretty bird. Our pet's heads are falling off. Well, I never saw any of those things when I was up in the Adirondacks all the years that we go there now. But then again, like I said, I don't see wildlife when I'm up there. As far as I know, everything is dead. <laughs> everything. We saw a couple of chipmunks. That was encouraging. But, um... Yes. Let's see here. Jessica Rabbit. As a teenager, the floral department at the grocery store, minus the Mother's Day, Valentine's Day, etc., for obvious reasons, was so peaceful and tranquil in there, I got paid to tidy up and water flowers and sleep. Or sweep. Sorry, sweep. She was not sleeping. Got to make arrangements for weddings, which was pretty cool, too. I never knew working with plants and flowers would be so relaxing and enjoyable. And then finally have... When I was 18, this is from Cece, my friend got me a job at Macy's doing Christmas decorations. Oh, that sounds awesome. We started before Halloween to have it all ready by Thanksgiving. It didn't even feel like working. So much fun. Cece, what years would that, ha would that be going on? Because that sounds like heaven to me, especially if this was in the 90s. Like me growing up, what I, I remember from J.C. Uh, Penney and Macy's and going out with my, my mother and grandparents to do some shopping and to go to these places. I always love going to Macy's and places like that, especially because everything, I don't know. For, we had a, a really good friend. He just recently passed away, sadly. Uh, he worked at Bloomingdale's and going to places like that. And everybody was always just dressed so nice. They always smelled very good. Everybody had just... You can tell that all the perfumes and colognes that they wore were very, very expensive. And I just love that smell. I just... I, I, I love walking by the, the, the perfume counters and stuff because... And, every, and then when the place was dolled up for Christmas... Man. I was like, this is an awesome place to work. Because I would just walk around. I would... Even as a child, I, I wouldn't mind just walking around having nothing to do but just being in it. So, to actually have a few months where you're paid to be in these shopping malls when they were at the, the peak of their popularity. And like we said before, customer service was great. Customers were a lot more respectful and things were generally just better. My God, that must have been really fun. CC, email me if you can. Let me know what years you were working at Macy's. There's going to be less and less of those around any uh, these days anyhow. All right, 846. 
8.46. We will be... Let me see here. Yeah, we will be right back, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to take another quick break. We'll take one more call, and then our badass for the evening. Don't go anywhere. Watch as the podcast called, quite frankly, hits more home runs than a New York Yankee. It'll make you grin unlike a bank fee, just as cozy as a nighttime blankie. Number one, not two, like Mr. Hanky. It can get spooky like spies at Langley, and if you go and watch, you just might thank me. I was thinking to myself, uh, yeah, well, I, I love this, these uh, special, these practical special effects videos that I have found. I want to find longer versions of that, in fact. I, cur- I do curate everything for the show. But I said it would be wonderful to have this put right up, ahead, right up against the, uh, the Nigerian cinema masterpiece that we get there, too. So that's what we have. Ladies and gentlemen, it is... Seven uh, eight forty nine. So I do not think I have actually any time for calls, but I, I I do want to do something that is going to fill up the time very nicely, and I think you're going to appreciate it. It's time to talk about our badass for the evening, ladies and gentlemen. Who can it be? Who will it be? I don't know. That's some badass shit. It's pretty badass. You're right, it is pretty badass. And who is the badass for tonight, this Tuesday, June 2nd, 2022? His name is Milton William Cooper. Bill Cooper, ladies and gentlemen. Bill Cooper was born in 1943 to a military family and went on to work in naval intelligence. After his discharge in 1975, he began blowing the whistle on secret government programs he claimed to have had access to. 
His quest to spread these truths became his life's work, and he is seen by many as the father of modern truth movements around the world. Cooper is most well-known for his 1991 book, Behold a Pale Horse. As the book explains, quote, Bill Cooper, former United States Naval Intelligence Briefing team member, reveals information that remains hidden from the public eye. His This information has been kept in top-secret government files since the 1940s. His audiences hear the truth unfold as he writes about the assassination of John F. Kennedy, the war on drugs, the secret government, and UFOs. Bill correctly predicted the lowering of the Iron Curtain, the fall of the Berlin Wall, and the invasion of Panama. All Bill's predictions were on record well before the events occurred. Bill is not a psychic. His information comes from top-secret documents that he reads while he uh, that he read while the uh, while with the intelligence briefing team, and from over 17 years of research. Cooper also hosted a show called Hour of the Time which you can actually find full episodes of that on BitChute and, and YouTube and stuff like that. I downloaded a, um, a small playlist of it. Not the best quality, but I'll start putting them on late nights on, quite frankly, TV soon. Shortly after the Oklahoma City bombing, Rush Limbaugh read a White House memo on the air which named William Cooper, quote, the most dangerous radio host in America. Cooper considered Bill Clinton's pronouncement the greatest compliment he ever received. During a broadcast in June of 2001, Cooper seemed to have also predicted the 9-11 attacks. Cooper believed that Osama bin Laden was being set up to take the fall for some kind of terrorist attack that would take place in the near future. As he put it, quote, if some know-nothing reporter from CNN could find this guy and the CIA couldn't, it could only mean something bad is about to happen and this guy is being exposed to be set up as a fall guy. Don't be surprised if it happens right here in America, end quote. That November, Cooper was killed in a shootout with police in his Arizona home. He actually predicted his own death, too. Uh, I, I played that video on, the, on the, the nightly programming on QuiteFrankly.tv as well. The police had a warrant for his arrest, but he vowed that he would not be taken alive. Cooper's legacy lives on, not just through his own work, but also through other countless books, podcasts, and radio shows, many of which would probably not exist if Cooper hadn't spent decades blazing the trail. Now, we also thought that um, we, had, we found this list of quotes from, behind, beyond, uh, from Behold, A Pale Horse, and we thought it might be useful to read a few here, just because this little blurb. You can't really dig that deep into what he was warning us about, so it might be a good idea for us to pick through a few of these. So let's do it. Here's a few. Like it or not, this is all Bill Cooper. Like it or not, everything is changing. The result will be the most wonderful experience in the history of man or the most horrible enslavement that you can imagine. Be active or abdicate. The future is in your hands. He also said this. To cling to the past is guaranteed suicide. To remain apathetic is assured enslavement. You hear that, blackpilled? To learn the truth and then act on it is the only means of survival at this moment. The general rule is that there is a profit in confusion. The more confusion, the more profit. Therefore, the best approach is to create problems and then offer the solutions. Is this not a time of abject confusion? It is nothing but confusion. Nothing but. And in that confusion, people are easily duped and pushed into any direction. Here he goes. Media 
keep the adult public attention diverted away from the real social issues and captivated by matters of no real importance. Welcome to Pride Month. He continues, We have been taught lies. Reality is not all what we perceive it to be. And here you have another one. If the people really cared about their fellow man, they would control their appetites so that they would not have to operate on a credit or welfare social system which steals from the worker to satisfy the bum. Since most of the general public will not exercise restraint, there are only two alternatives to reduce this economic inductance of the system. Number one, let the populace bludgeon each other to death in war, which will only result in total destruction of the living earth. Or number two, take control of the world by use of economic silent weapons in the form of a quiet warfare and reduce the economic uh, inductance of the world to safe level by a process of benevolent slavery and genocide. The latter option has been taken as an obviously better option. At this point, it should be crystal clear to the reader why absolute secrecy about the silent weapons is necessary. The general public refuses to improve its own mentality and its faith in its fellow man. It has become a herd of proliferating barbarians and, so to speak, a blight upon the face of the earth. Um, Here's one I'll leave you with. This is the last one I'll leave you with here. This is my creed. I believe first in God, the same God in which my ancestors believed. I believe in Jesus Christ and that he is my savior. Second, I believe in the Constitution of the Republic of the United States of America without interpretation as it was written and meant to work. I have given my sacred oath to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States of America against all enemies foreign and domestic. I intend to fulfill that oath. Third, I believe in the family unit, and in particular, my family unit. I have sworn that I will give my life if it is required in defense of God, the Constitution, or my family. Fourth, I believe that any man without principles, without principles that he is ready to and willing to die for at any given moment is already dead and is of no use or consequence whatsoever. That was William Cooper, August 3rd, 1990. So, I will make sure that we will up the Bill Cooper After Hours programming. And, um, and yes, because it's very, very important stuff. I appreciate you all hanging out with me tonight on this Thursday evening. It is 8.56, and with that, we are going to hightail it out of there. I'm going to release the scratching over there on, quite frankly, TV. And thank you all again. Thank you, Selling the Farm on Rumble. We have uh, thank you, Twisted Wizard, and everybody else on, quite frankly, superchat.com. And on Rockfin, a wonderful little audience hanging out, and everybody that contributed to our wonderful topic of your fun jobs. Brought us back to nice times and uh, enjoy. So tomorrow's another night. It's Friday. Who knows what will come? And remember, session seven of. Quite frankly, book club, Windswept House, will be after tomorrow night's show concludes. We are That is a wonderful read. It's getting better and better. I'll see you all then. Thank you again for your wonderful company, now and always. I'll catch you on the flip side. Quite frankly... 
is filmed before a live studio audience, and now our super chatters, starting with Twisted Wizard, Anita Lay, and then so many people on uh, on Quite Frankly TV. I can't even count. But thank you guys so much. I will see you tomorrow. I'll be here with bells on. Good night. Storm in the castle. Think it'll work? It would take a miracle. Bye-bye. <laughs>